but since there is so much immorality, each man should have his own wife. And each woman her, her own husband. The husband should fulfil his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife's body does not belong to her alone but also to her husband. In the same way, the husband's body does not belong to him alone, to him alone, but also his wife. Do not deprive each other except on mutual consent for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, not as a command. I wish that all men were as I am, but each man has his own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. Now to the unmarried and the widows I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I am, but if they cannot control themselves they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion." To the married I give this command, not I but the Lord. A wife must not separate from her husband, but if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and a husband must not divorce his wife. To the rest I say this, I, not the Lord. If any brother has a wife who is not a believer, and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer, and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy." But if, if, he, um, if the unbeliever leaves, let him do so. A believing man or woman is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. How do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Nevertheless, each one should... Retain the place in life that the Lord assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is the rule I lay down in all the churches. Was a man already circumcised when he was called? He, was not, he should not become uncircumcised. Was a man uncircumcised when he was called? He should not become circumcised. Circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's commands is what counts. Each one should remain in the situation which he was in when God called him. Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you, although if you can gain your freedom, do so. For he who was a slave when he was called by the Lord is the Lord's freed man. Similarly, he who was a free man when he was called is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brothers, each man as responsible to God should remain in the situation 
God called him to. May God add his blessing to this reading. Thanks, Laura. That was a pretty long reading. She did pretty well, didn't she? Got through it all. Um, for those who are with us today haven't been here for a little while, we're uh, looking at a series in 1 Corinthians, How to Not Wreck Your Church. Uh, throughout Corinthians, they've uh, made a good hack at destroying their church. And so all the stuff we read as we look through 1 Corinthians gives us an opportunity to see what not to do. Uh, so uh, I think it's great when you get to passages like this in the Bible because often uh, people tell us that the Bible doesn't speak to us today and uh, covers up certain issues, but it gets stuck into it, doesn't it, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, especially about marriage and sex. And so we've got the young guys in here today. They've come in on this one. Just happened to be the one that they came to, didn't it? So we've got uh, the older guys from uh, the kids' church. They've come in and they, uh, twice a term they're coming in and listening to the talk to get them used to it. Uh, as we come to look at this together, what about we ask God to help us understand it? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do give you great thanks that your word speaks to us today, that even though uh, this passage that we're reading now is almost 2,000 years old, uh, it speaks right into the situation that we live in and uh, has words of wisdom for us. Uh, this day. We pray, Lord, that as we look at it together, that you'll help us to understand it and that, Lord, you'll challenge us or change us where needed and encourage us, Lord, where we also need it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Some of you would know a guy by the name of John Dixon. He's uh, a writer. He played in a band, uh, a number of books he's got out that many of us have probably read at different times. He's an Australian bloke and uh, he's a good fella. Uh, he tells a story about when he was a little bit younger, when he was a Christian and he was playing in a band and he was at a pub. And while he was playing in that band, uh, he finished the gig and him and his band sat down. And when they sat down, one of the barmaids came across to them and uh, started a conversation with them. And it was clear that uh, John and the band were Christian because uh, they played some Christian songs amongst the ones that they played and so they knew that. And so this barmaid came over to him and says, oh, you're Christians, aren't you? And uh, John said, yes. And she said, well, you Christians, you don't believe in sex. You don't like sex and you don't believe in sex, do you? And John says, no, that's quite wrong, actually. Let me quote him for you. He says, no, he says, I believe in sex. Uh, In fact, I want to have great sex, lots of it, with one woman for the whole of my life. It's a funny thing, isn't it? I think sometimes Christians and people view Christians as if, Sex is something they don't talk about or they don't do or it's something that just really isn't part of what they're on about. Uh, Or if it is something that they do, it's only something that they do to have kids. And so sex has got this bad name in one sense amongst Christians and people outside of us think that we seem as though we're against it in some way. Uh, It's a funny thing, isn't it? Could you imagine that somehow that they think that God didn't know about it? Uh, Could you imagine Adam and Eve, uh, there they are, they're in the garden and they have their first sexual encounter and after it Adam goes, wow, do you think God knew about this? Of course he did. He knew about it, he created it, he made it. And he didn't just create it for procreation. When we look at Genesis we see that God created it also for pleasure, uh, for intimacy, for for joy, for bringing uh, a married couple together closer. At the end of chapter 2, he says that the two will become one. Uh, There's that intimacy. There's joy, there's pleasure. There's that sense of wholeness in one way that happens when people who are married in the right context have sex. And so it's not a surprise to God, is it? It's not something that he somehow missed that part of what was going on in creation. 
but you see, I think sometimes the church has given it a bad name because in some parts of the church, uh, people have seen that the more godly people are the ones that abstain from it. That in a sense, the priesthood or those who go into monasteries, that there's some special significance, spiritual heightenedness in a sense, if you get away from it and you don't have it. That in some sense, you cut it out, you can't have it, you've just got to be completely dedicated to God and you've got to get rid of any type of senses or pleasures out of it. Uh, that's called asceticism, uh, which is on the back of your sheets if you want to look at that. It's a big word, isn't it? It's asceticism. Uh, it actually comes from a wrong understanding of how God made us. It comes from an ideal of dualism where some people believe that God made us our spirit and body and that the spirit is what's all important and the body, well, that's insignificant. Uh, it doesn't have anything to do with the spirit, so therefore you can do two things with it. Dualism goes one way, it either goes one and says, well, you can do whatever you like. Okay, that's called liberalism or libertinism, depending on what word you want to use. Uh, that you can just do whatever you like with it. And that's what chapters 5 and 6 of 1 Corinthians were about that we looked at last week. Remember there he said, food for the stomach, stomach for the food, everything is permissible to me. That's the idea that the body doesn't count, it doesn't impact the spiritual, so therefore just indulge it. Use it like a machine, do whatever you like with it, have as much sex with whoever you like with it, eat as much as you like with it, use it whatever way you like because it doesn't impact you spiritually. So Paul corrected that last week, didn't he? And says, no, the body and the spirit are connected. They're important things together. Your body is where the Holy Spirit dwells in you. You're the, you're the temple. You're God's temple. So use your temple for God's glory. And so use it in the right way. And in chapter 7, he comes and argues against the opposite side of it. So one is do whatever you like with your body because it doesn't impact the spirit. The other one is cut off any type of pleasure, feelings, emotions, completely get rid of all that sort of thing. The body in one sense is almost evil, so you've got to build it into submission, you've got to take it this way, cut out everything so that you can be completely spiritual. And that's where 1 Corinthians 7 comes. Paul's speaking, it seems in the church there's, there's two sides. One that said, do whatever you like with the body because the spirit is what's all important. The other one says, build your body. Don't do anything with it that's good and pleasurable because you've got to bring it into submission because the body's evil. But what Paul says is that the body and spirit are joined and they're both important. And so let's have a look at it together. Open up your, your Bibles if you like, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Uh, and you can see that happens because right in the very first verse, different versions uh, write this slightly differently. It says, Now for matters you wrote about it's good for a man not to marry or some translations it's good for a man not to touch. Uh, it can go either way. Basically what it's saying is it's good for a man not to have sexual relations with anyone. And it goes for women too. It's good for some woman not, or man not to have sexual relations with anybody. That's what they're saying. And so what Paul is saying is that you've written to me, you've spoken to me, you've told me about there's people telling you that you shouldn't have sexual relations with anyone. That means if you're married already, then stop having sex with your partner. If you're not married yet, don't even think about getting married. Stay that way. And so what he's saying to them is, you've written to me that this is the case. And so what Paul writes back to them says, no, that's not the case. Look at what he says in verse 2 there. But since there is so much immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. 
The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife's body does not belong to her alone but also to her husband. In the same way, the husband's body does not belong to him alone but also to his wife. Do not deprive each other except by mutual consent and for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So Paul's very balanced, isn't he? He says, no, if you're married, then you should be having sex with one another. That's part of what it is to be married, that you should be doing that. He says that the husband is to fulfil it to the, the wife and the wife to the husband. It's a mutuality thing. Uh, guys, if you want to write down that word, it's mutuality. There you go. Uh, uh, and that's really big because in Paul's time when he's writing this, there was a concept that the bloke had all the rights. The bloke could do whatever he wanted to do and the woman had no rights. Here Paul is saying that actually between blokes and girls in a married relationship, it's actually mutuality. That you are to do this together. This is something that you are combined together to do. Fulfill your role to one another. Your, each body's is the other person's body. Don't stop having sex unless it's for the fact that you're going to go off and spend some time in prayer. You're actually to be this together. This is something that you are to do together. No one is to use sex to get against the other one. No one is to use it as a bribe. It's not to be a power play thing. And no one has more rights than the other. Both male and female are equal in this. It's a mutuality thing. You might have heard the old saying, happy wife, happy life. And Paul's saying that's true. But he's also saying, happy husband, happy life as well. I think that's good for wives to remember because us blokes keep quoting the happy wife, happy life thing. Uh, But a happy husband, a happy life too. It's together, isn't it? It's a mutual thing. It's not that one's supposed to be beginning everything and the other one not. It's together that this is to be the case. And so that Satan doesn't get in between you, so that Satan doesn't destroy your relationship, that Satan doesn't cause problems in your relationship, he says. So it's a good thing, isn't it? Paul is saying this quote that you got, that you wrote to me about, that you're not supposed to have sexual relations with anyone. No, you are. You should have it here, but it's to be done in a mutual consent with one another. It's to be worked out between you, that together you are to work this out. Together you are to make decisions about when and when not to have it. No one has the right to demand it from the other. It's a mutual thing. No one has the right to put pressure on the other one. No one has the right to hold it over the other one. No one has the right to power play in this situation. I think that speaks into our culture, doesn't it? Because I think our culture sees sex as a commodity. It's something that you can give and sell and take and offer and put it here and there, put it there. And in a sense, it's a power play thing too, that it's used to try and seduce or allure or corrupt or whatever. You only have to look uh, very briefly, flick across the channels on Saturday morning and see MTV and the music videos. Sex is a commodity. See that it's used to sell just about everything that's out there. And one, in a sense, is demeaned by the other, isn't it? The person, I think mostly that women are demeaned by it, that they're seen as sex objects and they're brought down and the blokes have got the power over them. And in a sense, the only power that a woman has got is the fact that they can give out sex and their body. And what does the Bible say? No, that's not on. That is not the way it should be. It should be in a loving, mutual, married relationship. 
between a husband and a wife. Because you see, marriage is a gift. Look at verse 6. I say this as a concession, not as a command. I wish that all men were as I am, but each man has his own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. I think that's a good thing, isn't it? We're going to see that uh, not only is marriage a good thing and a gift, but singleness is a good thing and a gift as well. You see, Paul's saying that your marriage, what you've got is a gift. Have you ever thought that? Have you ever actually thought that your marriage is a gift? Those of you who are married or those that you'd be thinking of maybe getting married somewhere down the track, that it's actually a gift, that God has actually given it to you. And because it's a gift, it should be used the right way, shouldn't it? Uh, At Brendan and Jess's party the other day, they got a whole lot of gifts for their engagement party. Now, I know that probably some of them, they opened up and they thought, oh, I wonder whether Myers or DJs would swap that. You know? And I'm sure they did somewhere along the line. Now, we try to give gifts, don't we? But we don't always give the best gifts. But God does only give the gifts that we need. And then are what are best for us. And marriage is a gift. And I think it's good for us to think of that, isn't it? Because I think often we think, or the world sees marriage as a sentence, as a life sentence. Uh, You talk to people when they've been married for 50 years and often the bloke says, yeah, you get less for murder these days. (laughs) And even though that's funny, but we tend to do that, doesn't it? We tend to undermine this gift that we have. That it's a special gift from God. And if it's a special gift from God, then we should guard it. We should work hard at it and we shouldn't discard it. We should hold on to it big time. Look at what Paul says in verse 10. I'm going to come back to the singleness bit in a minute, so don't worry, we're going to come back to it. He says, To the married I give this command, not I but the Lord. A wife must not separate from her husband, but if she does, she must remain unmarried, or else she will be reconciled to her husband. And a husband must not divorce his wife. Uh, When Paul says there, not I but the Lord, and then down in verse 12 he says, I not the Lord, Paul's not saying that these two bits have less authority. What he's saying is the first one, he actually has a quote because Jesus taught about this. Uh, In the second one, Jesus didn't specifically teach about that situation. A brother who has a wife who's an unbeliever. But he does teach about marriage and divorce. And so what Paul's saying is, I have a direct thing here from Jesus. This is what he said. In the next one, verse 12, he's saying, well, Jesus didn't directly teach about this, but this is what it's on about. So what he's saying is that marriage is a gift and so we should hold on to it and we should work hard at it and divorce should not be on our radar. Now, the Bible does give examples and there are exceptions and I'm not going to go into all of that. Uh, That's for another time. But I think what Paul is saying to us is clear is that marriage is a gift and we need to work hard at making sure we keep it. That we don't discard it, that we don't trash it that it's not that easy just to sign a document and it's over. And even when you read in the Bible, if there is a, the, the exception that Jesus gives is marital unfaithfulness, and again, I'm not going to go into all that, but even in that, Jesus still says that we should still try and reconcile through that. That even in that, it's not a guarantee. Just because someone does this means that this is automatically the case. We should always be working at keeping our marriages together. Now, when you jump over the page... Uh, Paul says in uh, verses 32 through to 35, we'll look at a little bit later, 
But he does say that it's tough being married. He says actually singleness is actually easier than being married in some senses. That marriage is going to cause a number of hassles for you. That marriage is going to, you're going to have to be looking after your wife and your kids and there's going to be all these sorts of things. There's going to be problems. There's going to be difficulties. It's not going to be easy. And anyone who sits here today and says that marriage is easy is lying. It's a tough gig, isn't it? There are moments when we think, gee, I wish I wasn't in this situation. There are moments when I think, gee, the grass on the other side of the fence is a lot greener, isn't it? But we always need to remember the grass on the other side of the fence still needs mowing. And we need to stick with the grass that we've got. See, Paul is saying to us that we need to hang on to marriage. It's a gift from God. Hold on to it. Keep it. Don't disregard it so quickly. And he goes down there, verses 12, 14, he says, you know, and even he gives an exception if you've got a, a partner who you've been converted and your partner's not a Christian yet, then there's an opportunity for that partner to say, well, okay, they can leave. He says, that's okay. But he doesn't say that's the best ideal. He says, well, isn't it be better if they stay? Because if they stay, then it's a really good thing that they might hear the gospel. That's what it means by sanctified or holy there, that they get an opportunity. They're in a privileged position where they hear about Jesus. And your children get to hear about Jesus. And it's far better for them to be in a relationship where the two of you are together. So he says, hang on to it. Hold it. Work hard at it. Don't give up on it. Stay married. It's a good thing to be married. But he also says it's a good thing to be single. Uh, If you look back to verse 6, he says this, I say this as a concession to you, not as a command. I wish that all men were as I am. We believe that Paul's single. Now we're not too sure how he is single, whether he's never married or whether he may have been married and maybe divorced or the lady separated or his wife died. We're not sure of that. Paul was a Pharisee, so we probably think maybe he might have been married. It would be very unusual for him not to be married, uh, but we're not sure. But we know that here he is single and that he says, I would rather that you were like me, that there is benefit to being single, that it's actually a gift to being single. Uh, And if you turn over the page, well, in my Bible, if you turn over the page anyway, and you look at verse 32 to 35, let me read that for you. I would like, if you've got a Bible, flip it over. Oh, I think Dave actually has got it up on the screen. Go down a couple. There we go. That's it. Thanks, Dave. I'd like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned uh, about the Lord's affairs. How can he please the Lord? But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world. How can he please his wife? And his interests are divided. An unmarried woman is, or a virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of, it, of this world. How she can please her husband. I'm saying this for your own good. Not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. And down in verse 38, which isn't up on the screen, it says, So the man, he who marries the virgin does right, so he who gets married does right, but he who does not marry her does even better. So he's actually saying singleness is a good thing and a very helpful thing. And that singleness allows people to be able to serve the Lord in a more unhindered way than what someone who's married. Now, I can't talk from a single perspective because I'm not. But I've asked someone who is, who's going to come up very briefly and give us a bit of a perspective from her side of things. So, Deb, you may not know Deb, because Deb's new to our area and to our church, but Deb's going to come and just quickly share with you. Do you want to use that, Deb? Thanks. 
Hi. Yeah, my name is Deb and I'm single. And I'm really hoping that Paul didn't invite me up just so um, he could set me up with someone because really <laughs> that's not what it's all about. Um, now, I don't really have much to add to what Paul's saying in Corinthians because that's really what I truly believe. I don't think that singleness is a curse or something to be pitied or sorry for. And I hate single people who stand up at these Christian things and say, feel sad for me because I don't have a family. Because really, I'm quite content. I love being single. It's awesome. I can do anything I want, whenever I want, with whoever I want. Um, The freedom is just amazing. Uh, I can stay up all night. I can sleep in and leave 10 minutes before church. It's great. Um, But also things like I can pack up and move and go anywhere at any time too. It was no drama for me to just stop teaching at Hilston and move to Evans Head. And so when I feel that God asked me to go somewhere else, I can do that. Um, It's really easy to change jobs, change locations, go anywhere. I can take a year off and go to Bible college, which I've done too. I could just stop doing what I'm doing now and go overseas and be a missionary. I've got more time, more headspace. Um, And so really, my job is to use that in a very godly and wise way. And that, I think, is the hardest thing about singleness, making the right choices. I once heard a, um, a preacher say that, Uh, single people are the most selfish people in the world and I think that I tend to agree with that because you have so much freedom that it's easy to use it on yourself rather than on other people so my hardest thing is working out how I can use my singleness to glorify God rather than just for my own benefits thanks Deb it's great Uh, isn't it good to hear other people's perspectives too and hear other people's uh, situations and what they're going on? I think it's great when we share stuff like that. And I really thank Deb for sharing it because she's only new here and uh, it's a big thing to get up the front and do that, but I really appreciate what she shared. And, and it's right, isn't it? It gives us a different perspective and we can see that from that. And I suppose the thing that we can encourage Deb with from that is to not to take the selfish line and to encourage her to keep doing that godly stuff and pray for her for that too. Uh, as you can be praying for us married people too that we make sure that we stick at still being Jesus-focused within our marriages, that we still stick at living for Jesus in the circumstances that we're in. Because, see, what Paul says, as we get down to the end of chapter 7, from verse 17 onwards, when he talks about circumcision, uncircumcision, where he talks about slave or free, uh, when he talks about those sort of situations, he's saying is that we need to be content in the situation that we are and to live for Jesus in the situation that we are. Be married, be unmarried. Be uncircumcised, that means to be a Gentile, to be circumcised, to be a Jew, to be someone who's a slave, who's under the control of the people, or to be someone who's, uh, who's free. Whatever circumstance and situation that we're in, then we are to be content within that and to serve the Lord within it. And that's what I think verse 24 says. If you jump down to that, it says this. Brothers, each man as responsible to God should remain in the situation God called him to. Because what the people who are writing to Paul are trying to say is if you're married, then stop being married. Start acting like singles. You're not allowed to have sex with the person that you've got. If you are married, unmarried, then you've got to stay that way and you can't ever be married. They're trying to say that you can't be in either of those circumstances or situations. But Paul is saying to them is, that you can be a Christian in the circumstance that God has called you now. 
that just because you become a Christian doesn't mean that suddenly you need to change the circumstances and the situation you're in. The situation and the status that you have doesn't change the fact that you are to live for Jesus in that. It's an interesting one, isn't it? It's a great passage as it challenges us to think that through. Now, as he says, Paul's quite uh, practical about it. He says, if you're a slave and you can become free, then take it. Uh, If you are unmarried and someone comes along, then take it. He's not saying that you can't change situations or circumstances, but he says that where you've been called now, live for God in the circumstance, the situation, the status that you're in now. Don't wish for something other. Live for Jesus now. You see, what Paul's doing is saying that the ascetic lifestyle is not on. The liberal lifestyle is not on. Both those lifestyles have the wrong perspective of what life's about. I read a story the other day about two builders. Matt, and, no, it wasn't Matt. Uh, two builders, uh, it was Terry and Jake. Uh, Terry was the brains of the operation. Jake was just the brawn of the operation. Uh, they were going in to build a house one day and uh, Jake went in to, to put up and uh, knock up a wall and as he got his hammer out and he picked up his nail and stuck it up against the side of the wall, he looked and he thought, that nail's facing the wrong way. Can't hit that. So he put that nail down, he picked up another nail, put it up against the wall and went to hit it. Nail's the wrong way as well. well what's going on here? He looked down into the, where all the nails were and he noticed that all the nails were facing the wrong way. He thought, fair dinkum, what's going on here? So he said, hey, Terry, get in here. You're the brains of this operation. Terry, come in. He says, look, these nails are facing the wrong way. I can't use them. Terry went, Jake, Jake, Jake. Don't you know, Jake, these nails are for the other wall. (laughs) Think about that for a minute. It's sad, isn't it? There was nothing wrong with the nails, just needed to turn them round. That's how you use them, isn't it? Both of them looked at the same nail and got the wrong perspective of looking at different sides of it, didn't they? That's what the dualism people have done. They've looked at the body, they've looked at the spirit, they've seen the two together and they've got the wrong perspective of both. They've either gone one this way or one the other and Paul says, no. Your body and your spirit are joined together. That what you do with your body is important that what you do with your body is to live for Jesus in whatever circumstance, situation, status that you are. Live for Jesus if you're married. Live for Jesus if you're single. Live for Jesus if you're an Aussie. Live for Jesus if you're a Jew. Live for Jesus if you're working for someone. Live for Jesus if you're a boss. Live for Jesus if you're a parent. Live for Jesus if you're a student. Live for Jesus in whatever circumstance, situation, that God has called you. And that is what glorifies him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do give you thanks for your word. We thank you that as we read 1 Corinthians today, that it's just so practical that it speaks into the circumstances and the situations that we have today. Father, we pray that you'll help us to apply that into our lives. Help us to live for Jesus in whatever circumstance and situation that you've placed us, Lord, that we'll see all those as opportunities to serve you and to bring glory to you, Lord. Help us to love one another and encourage one another where we're at, Lord, be we married, be we single, 
uh, be we student, be we parents, be we whoever we are, Lord. Help us to seek to encourage each other to continually live for Jesus, Lord. We pray these things in his name. Amen.